Welcome to the Conscious Living Podcast, conversations to educate, empower, and enlighten our world. An uplifting and inspiring series of conversations and talks with your host, Jackie Woodside. We are educating minds, empowering lives, and enlightening souls to create a world where love prevails. In this engaging podcast, we deliver exciting, positive, transformative talks and teachings designed to elevate your life. Now, let's join our host, Jackie Woodside, for this week's session. Hi, everybody. Jackie Woodside here again for another episode of the Conscious Living Podcast. We are here with a mission to educate, empower, and enlighten our world. And today, I could not be more happy, more thrilled, and more excited, actually, to be working with a dear friend and an extraordinary colleague of mine. One of those colleagues, I have to admit, that I kind of brag about that he's a friend of mine. So Dr. Nick Morgan is joining us today. Uh, Nick Morgan is someone who is a literally a world-renowned expert in the field of communications. He's probably most known for being a, a, a highly, highly sought after public speaking coach, but also uh, just an expert on how to influence, how to make your point, how to connect. So I thought, what better person to bring in to the Conscious Living podcast for us to dive in deeply about the notion of what does it take, what does it look like, and even what does it mean to be conscious when we are communicating? So Dr. Nick Morgan has written four uh, extraordinary books. And I have to say, Nick, I can't say this to every guest. I have read all four of the books that you have written. Um, what I most love about Nick is I can Google any topic on public speaking, and I promise you he will be referenced in the top three or four items because he has an epic blog. Uh, he has been a commentator on presidential debates for CNN. He has literally been flown around the world to work with presidents and dignitaries of all sorts and stripes. And it's just a pleasure and a joy and an honor, Nick, to spend this time with you. So thank you for joining us. Tell our listeners a little bit more about you. I've, I've said a little bit, but but feel free to dive in and just, uh, you know, help people get to know you a little bit more. Thanks, Jackie. And and first, uh, back at you. It's such a pleasure to be with you. And, and this is going to be fun. Um, I, uh, I start my communication story two places depending on my mood and, and so for the for the uh for the conscious uh, crowd let's say i think the appropriate one is to start when i was 17 and i uh, was in a tobogganing accident fractured my skull i was unconscious i was in a coma for a week oh, that explains lots of things it really does <laughs> <laughs> and i uh I briefly died, um, wow. classic five seconds, call the medics, come in with the paddles and shock me back to life. So I'm wow. very fortunate. I don't mean to make light of this. I was very fortunate to have a very skilled neuros neurosurgeon save my life. So Good. forever grateful. Uh, but when I woke up, um, they give you a test to see if you're still compost mentis, so if you're with it. And uh, I passed the little test, but there was something missing and that was harder to describe. I wasn't aware of it at the time and there was no test for it. And that was something I discovered when I went back to school that I could no longer read the body language of my buddies in the same way that um, everybody can. 
we hire body language experts and we talk to them, people like me, and, and, and we try to make our art as esoteric as possible. But the reality is that um, we are all experts in body language of people that we know well. Okay. And, and of course, you know this, as children grow up watching, scanning their parents to see, are they in a good mood or the bad mood? Am I likely to get an extra piece of cake or not? And, and of course, um, far more serious matters in, in order to uh, order their world to get what sense of control kids can have of their world. It's very important for them to be able to read the body language of the people around them. And as we grow up and we form long-term connections, we can read those people's body language. We can tell if they come in all excited about something or they've gotten bad news or something like that. We can instantly tell. Well, I couldn't do that anymore. Just, it was gone. And so when my friend said, Nick, you look great being sarcastic. I said, thanks. <laughs> and they said, no, we're being sarcastic. You look terrible. What happened to you? And, and then that's when I realized there was something wrong. So it took me a year of studying body language consciously, this thing that we normally do unconsciously. We just register, oh, mm -hmm. Jackie's in a good mood or, oh, Jackie's had some bad news. Um, and I had to relearn that consciously and wow. study people. and Including say, facial expressions as well? Facial expressions, wow. body language in general. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sure part of it was just simple healing of my brain over time. Uh, wow. And then finally I was able to do it again. But I always retained this, uh, this slightly weird ability to do it consciously. Most of us don't do it consciously. Right. For good reasons. It would take too long if we did. Yeah, yeah. The, what difference has that made for you, Nick? I mean, clearly it has influenced your career. You are an expert at helping people be conscious of how they are speaking and how they are how they are communicating, both with their voice, with their words, and with their body, uh, three disparate parts of communication. So how, how has that helped you that you went through that experience where you had to learn it consciously? Well, it means it is just part of the, the way I naturally think. Yeah. On yeah. a presentation, and so the the idea of consciousness is fascinating because we have our conscious minds, and as somebody who works with this all the time, I'm keenly aware. But our conscious minds are fairly small things. The, the neuroscientists tell us we can handle about forty bits of information a second. Yeah. Um, maybe that sounds like a lot until you know that the unconscious mind can handle eleven million bits of information a second. So. Oh. it's going like crazy while your conscious mind is struggling to keep up. And so there's a good reason why you want the reading of body language to be unconscious. Wow. But then that raises the question of, so what does that mean to be mindful or conscious? Right. Uh, of something right? that's happening in the unconscious mind. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's an interesting. So, so how do you do that? Like what, you know, because the, the reason I'm pushing a little bit, Nick, is yep. that I think it would benefit everyone to learn a little bit about this this whole thing about being more conscious of our unconscious communication. So, uh, and I, I think you you know you had to learn things about it that maybe could benefit everybody. Yes, the the first thing to to be aware of is that uh, our we don't read body language in the way that we think we do. Not only is it unconscious. Okay. Um, but it's also, um, we don't just watch people say facial expressions and then decode them in our minds. So I don't say, oh, Jackie's smiling, therefore she's happy. What actually happens is that I see you smiling 
and a neuron fires in my brain, which is the other person smiling neuron, which makes me feel warm inside. Right, right. And that happens faster than the conscious mind can keep up. Right. But that's a good thing because then when humans get together, we share our feelings and, and we uh, have a good time. We commune and, and we connect, which is what humans like to do. We have this myth about ourselves that we're all independent beings. Right. Could not and be we, further from the truth. Right. We, we are communal beings. And yeah. that's, why, uh, that's why during this time of, of COVID, we are so uh, uh, downcast and sorry about not being able to go to big sporting events or music events or church services or uh, or even conferences where speakers like me and you hold forth right. Right. exactly right i love that that uh you know communal community communication they all have that same root word of coming together uh you know for a purpose um community, uh, communitatis, where we come together to get to know who we really are. And I think that's, that is the root of community and communication. You know, you mentioned conferences, you and I both, you particularly, but we are both speakers uh, on stages. I, and you also know, I teach longer term programs where I'm with people for several months at a time. So I do both kind of stage speaking, um, which I call my one night stand. And then I do the, uh, you know, longer in-depth work in programs. And I have to say, I, I do prefer the longer in-depth work because I like to, I like to create the relationships, as we were just saying, in, mm -hmm. like to be in community and create community. But maybe selfishly, I like seeing people's lives change right before my eyes. Mm -hmm. And what I came to, I'm going someplace with this that I want to ask your opinion on, but mm -hmm. what I came to see as a public speaker and you know, I call it my one night stand. It's it, you know, it's fun while it lasts, but not very gratifying over the long haul. Mm. Uh, you know, is kind of how I came to see being on stages, and I still do it, but not as much as I used to. I, it's what I call metaphysical, and our listeners can relate mm. to this. Where you go and you hear a great speaker, and like you're so inspired, and you're gonna go change the world and change your life, and I'm gonna actually get it together this time, and this time will be different. And then you get home and you go to your email inbox and you got the kids and you know you're back at the office with the same people and the same facial expressions and you know and that's what i call metaphysical from that yeah, sense, I love it. heightened enthusiasm to the sense of you know kind of mundane day-to-day -day reality where our um i don't know our zest and our enthusiasm wanes mm. so can you address that from, you know, is it possible to have a lasting impact from the stage? You've got 45 minutes, you've got an hour and a half, uh, you know, with people you're never going to see again. How, how do we create lasting impact? And for those of you who are listeners who aren't speakers, maybe you all have experiences where you have brief transitory exchanges with people. And I'll, I'll just bet that Nick has a lot to say about how to have an impact in a conscious way on people. So is it possible, number one, and mm. number two, if it's possible, uh, how, what are the elements that make it real? I think it is possible okay. or I wouldn't be, uh, right. You wouldn't be in the field otherwise. Right. Good. And I think it's challenging mostly because most speakers and most people think about communication in the wrong way. Uh, when I'm talking, that's the most interesting thing that's going on in the world right then. And then when you're talking, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. 
that's all too often the reality. So uh, the, 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 what the speaker has to do in order to get out of that little trap, that little box, is to make the speech about the audience. And so if we focus on the audience's journey that it's going on, then we have a chance of actually changing their lives and getting beyond that uh, metaphysical that you talk about, which is yeah, metaphysical. Uh, yeah. Metaphysical. There we go. Yeah. Which is uh, brilliant. I love that. Feel free to um, steal. And, and uh, thank you. And it's the, uh, it's the nightmare of meeting planners and speaker bureaus and all the uh, industry that supports public speakers like you and me, because they don't want anybody to, uh, to write in the feedback. Yeah, it was great. I had this mountaintop experience. And then an hour later, I'd forgotten. It was okay. like, uh, it was like eating takeout food. Uh, and, and so uh, to avoid that, they tend to focus on exactly the wrong thing, which is they push speakers like you and me to have takeaways, to have uh, real specific things that you can hang on to. And a little insider uh, dope, which will be fun for your listeners, is that um, the industry looks for what they call the cell phone slide, which is wrong on so many levels. But what that means is the slide that you, the speaker puts up that's so compelling because it has, here are the six things that you need to do to change your life instantly without any effort for right. the way better. It um, just happened and, for you. Exactly. All you have to do is take a picture with your cell phone. Take a picture of, right, of this slide. And, and of course, um, if we're having a real conversation with the audience and we're taking them on a journey to change their minds about something, then we shouldn't be spending too much of our time looking at slides because that's pulling our conscious minds away from the speaker and the connection with the speaker. But um, even, even with that, it's the wrong idea to think there can be a bunch of uh, takeaways on a slide that are just instantly gonna change your life. So th that's the thing to focus on is, and I always say, start with the question, what is the problem um, that the audience has mm -hmm. for which my expertise is the solution. Yeah. And if I don't know that, I'm not ready to talk to them. Then I am just the worst kind of speaker that goes out and says, do this and your life will be better. And I have no idea who I'm talking to. And maybe they've already done it. Right. Maybe they've tried it and it's failed for them. And so it seems like the worst kind of cynicism right. for them to hear it. But if I know what the audience's problems, hopes, wishes, fears, and dreams are, then I can start a conversation with them beginning there, beginning with them, and then say, you might want to think about this and nudge them along and get them to the point where, where uh, they are ready to change. Nice. You know, I, and I'm thinking that translates in, into ent, any relational interface, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be on a speaker on a stage to an audience, but if you want to, I, when you said, if you want to change someone's mind, or if you want to have influence, have an impact, you know, I have a I have a 16 year old son, I have a spouse, uh, you know, I've got siblings and coworkers that I often want to influence and, and change their minds, as I'm sure many people listening do. So so there's parallels there uh, sure. to, uh, to any relational interface, uh, understand where their problem is, mm -hmm. relate to them, not just to you. Listen more than you talk, listen more than you talk, be curious. Uh, yeah a colleague of mine that's really leans into that like can you be curious about what their experience is what their point of view is rather than like just coming in and presenting your point of view can you be curious 
Yeah. A anything more? You, and then presenting, you, I like what you said, kind of nudge them over here. You might want to think about this. So say, you know, deepen that a little bit. Say more about that. Well, if, if you want to think about it from the speaker's point of view, then we can uh, take it a little further and we can say um, in, a, in a more directive way, all right, let's say we get into your problem, the audience's problem. And let's say the audience's problem is uh, uh, that they're all beekeepers and their bees are dying, okay? Um, there's that mysterious, uh, what's it called? The hive death syndrome, that, yeah, that isn't yeah. quite right, but it's bees something that something's going on. Yeah, yeah. Bees are dying, yeah. So, um, so they come in with that problem. And if I show that I understand that problem and I start talking about, yeah, ain't it awful, the bees are dying everywhere, then they're gonna be nodding their heads. And at a certain point, they're, because this is the way the brain naturally works, they're gonna start saying, okay, so yeah, you got me. What are we going to do about this? And so their minds will open to hear a solution. And if I've walked with them on that journey and I show I know something about it, if I share a bit of expertise so that they're, they begin to trust me and think, yeah, this guy does know what he's talking about. Then at the crucial point, I can say, so here are my, here's my six point program for solving um, the mysterious bee death thing. Right, right. Exactly. And they'll be receptive to it. Yes. And there's, but that that's not all. <laughs> you still need to do more, which is, and again, we're just talking about speakers here. The, the, the same basic um, intention applies, but it's, uh, it's slightly different. It's a little less uh, sort of directive and authoritative if we're talking, usually we're talking colleagues or friends or a spouse or, or a teenage, uh, teenage son. Um, then the next thing is you've asked these people to listen low these 45 minutes. So they've been passive and it's not human nature to be passive for long periods of time. So you've got to give them a chance to be active. And that's, that's the key to ending a speech successfully is and it's sort of the Zen of, of speaking is to turn it back over to them and let them do something with it. And if you can do that creatively and, and beautifully at the end of a speech, they'll be uh, on their feet what, cheering what you. you. What do you do that gets the audience active? Well, I can give you a lovely example. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorites from, uh, uh, from a few years back, uh, pre-pandemic, this is sort of the 2015s or thereabouts. Um, and a friend of mine, a business speaker, whom I'd written a number of speeches with and we'd worked together on, and he was, uh, he was doing well. Um, he got an opportunity to speak uh, because he had a Christian background, he had an, had an opportunity to speak to one of those mega churches out in California. Yeah, and it was their annual conference, and they were bringing in all the uh, uh, assistant pastors and pastors and uh, music directors and church administrators, all the all the administrative people of a church. And the theme was abundance, and and a. Apparently, the research showed as these people came in, they were all they were concerned about was if only we had more money, if only we had more volunteers, if only we had more help, if only we had more this, if only we had more that, we could do so much more. Right? There's there's a world of need out there. I'm ready, oh Lord, to do the work. I just need more help. And so he was brought in to give him a tough love message of you've already got all you need. Stop whining, stop complaining. I mean, in the nicest possible way, right. and get to work. So that was his message. It was an abundance message. And we worked on the speech, that, but the point I want to direct you to is the, is the ending where we thought, how can we demonstrate that in a way that brings the audience in 
this uh, uh, this idea that they already have all they need. And it turned out to be so simple uh, that we, once we thought of it, we just fell off our chairs laughing and we were sort of kicking ourselves. Why did we think of this before? But we said at the end, everybody reach into their pocket or their pocketbook and grab the loose change that you find there. People still had loose change in those days. And we had done some research because research is easy on Google that, that discovered that people on average had 50 cents in their pocket or their pocketbook. Okay. Seems reasonable, right? Good enough to get going. So we were assuming everybody had 50 cents in their hands at that point. And we said, hold out your hand like this. And on the count of three, you're going to throw it on the floor. So uh, there were, understand there are 12,000 people there. So, wow. yeah, so 12,000 people on three throwing money on the floor it made this terrific, ridiculous sound. Wow. And we had runners all around with the tubs running around, um, picking it up. And, and then we were able to announce to that audience that in less than a minute, they had just raised $6,000 for the charity that they were uh, signing that, that uh, conference uh, to benefit. So uh, which they did every year because they're good people. That is um, so, so great. So you, and they were just blown away, right? I mean, again, it's obvious once you think of it, but somebody had to do it to make it obvious. And they felt like they had participated. Yeah, they yeah. were, they had started, they had given some part of that money. And so they were able to be active and the, the, the symbolism of abundance was proven in the moment. And they just loved it. They gave them a raving standing ovation. Oh, that is so, so great. So you're right. They didn't have the concept of abundance. They actually had the experience of abundance. Yes. And it's really important because we are physical beings to embody that. That's why action at the end of a speech is so important. If we embody it, then we believe it. We feel like it's real it, it, and, and we remember it better. So, so, that, so, great. so yeah. yeah, look for the... Uh, a chance and you can't use that that won't work <laughs> please everybody understand it, that isn't a universal action that everybody can yeah. take at the end right it's right, right. it's just it worked in that moment for that particular yeah. theme and that particular audience you have to come up with your own but if you can get the audience to do something that's physical that embodies it and turns their energy loose then they're ready to go out and get started that's so so great and it leads me to another point that I, I always want your input on this. You know, speakers get really uptight about their content. I have so much that I have to say. It's only a 20-minute talk. How am I going to fit it all in? Uh, you know, you're an expert in an area. You have a lot to say. Uh, and then you're up there on the stage. And then there's, you know, uh, how am I going to say it? So I'm curious your thought, again, both on the stage and just in day-to-day -day life, content or delivery? <laughs> that's that's the, right um you know is it that you've got to have really good content because I, I mean i remember I, I i went to a conference at harvard a few years ago uh and they brought in it it was one of their mental health conferences mm -hmm. i want to say who it was but it wouldn't be very nice but it was this was a top 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 level person in the field mm -hmm. and uh you know internationally known uh leader and it was the worst talk i had mm -hmm. ever attended i could i took nothing away from it because his delivery was so bad so so talk to me both from the stage and from you know face-to-face -face life across the dinner table content and or delivery mm. love it uh, so every communication is always two conversations okay and they're simultaneous content and delivery 
And it's important to think of them as two conversations with mm -hmm. equal validity because people don't think of it that way. We, uh, we don't consciously think so much about our delivery. And in fact, when I ask professional speakers, people who are uh, just in business and, and organizations trying to give speeches, mm -hmm. how much time do you spend preparing a speech um, in terms of the content versus the body language, they look at me funny and they say, 100% content, zero body language. Nobody ever thinks about the body language. Occasionally, I'll get somebody who says 50-50. And I'll go, oh, that's really interesting. You're, you're unusual. You know, tell me, what is it you think about? Yeah. And they'll say, well, uh, my grandmother told me to smile before I started to speak. <laughs> or I have a favorite outfit that I wear. It makes me feel confident. And which is not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, neither one of those things are bad, but neither one of them even begins to address the issue, right? Uh, or they just begin to address the issue, to be fair, I guess. So here's the thing. There are two conversations going on. And so to put it in a very simple way, and, and let's take it off the stage just for fun. Yeah, yeah. Right, and to make it more about ordinary life. But let's say I'm coming home to my uh, significant other, and I've texted we've had a text exchange and she said to me pick up milk and eggs and i'm listening to npr and i get all involved in it and i forget about the milk and eggs and i walk in the door obviously not carrying milk and eggs and i say suddenly remembering when i see my significant other because it reminds me oh shoot i was supposed to get oh, milk, and eggs. milk and eggs oops um and i say i asked the reflexive uh, partner question, how are you, hun? And hoping that her answer is some shade of not too bad, even though I just realized you don't have the milk and eggs with you. And her response is, and I always ask people, what's the classic uh, partner response? And they hem and haw from it, and then they get it. It's fine, fine when you think right, about it. Fine. That's what people say under their circumstances. And the question is, the word fine means fine. So if I just listen to the content, Everything's good, right? Right. Completely forgiven that I forgot the milk and eggs. But of course, it's not, that's just the first conversation. The second conversation, which is the one that matters, is how does he or she say fine? Mm -hmm. Is it fine? Like, oh my God, you've done it again. Mm -hmm. Or is it fine? Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Or is it fine? Like, I'm furious because you forgot the milk and eggs. Right. Yeah, you always forget. forget. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And I was going to make a, a quiche. I need the eggs. Right. So, right. Uh, so the, the whole grade, uh, the, the endless gradation of possible responses matters enormously at that point. The right. second conversation matters enormously. So that, that that silly little example teaches us a number of things. First of all, in that moment, the content doesn't matter. Right. Right. What? The content tells you nothing, quite honestly. Tells you nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. It's yeah. all in the body language. Now, that's not always the case, right? Sometimes content does matter. Sometimes yeah. exact words do matter. Yeah. But in especially in ordinary situations, but much of the time, and in situations like your Harvard uh, uh, conference, yeah. the, the, uh, the body language, the second conversation matters more if it overwhelms the first one. Yeah. And it can easily overwhelm the first one. We can all imagine many scenarios when it does. And so here's the thing about that. We humans are not hardwired consciously 
to notice that second conversation. We notice it unconsciously. Remember back to the earlier part of our conversation where we were saying with somebody that you know well, we pick that up instantly. Yeah. And what we care about is the intent behind the body language. We don't care about the body language. I don't care whether she or he is doing this or that or frowning or smiling. What I care about is what does that tell me about the intent behind it? That's what matters. That's everything to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so that second conversation is complicated in two ways. First of all, it's stuff that we don't uh, pick up, up consciously, but we are unconscious experts in. And secondly, we don't care about that conversation for what it is specifically. We care about the intent behind it. Mm -hmm. And so noticing that second conversation is a real chore. <laughs> it, it takes work. So that's what I do. I help people to do that. And for a few weeks, typically, as we're working together, they hate me for it because I'm asking them to do a lot of hard work, give your speech or, or do your communicating. And at the same time, notice both what you're communicating with your second conversation and what the audience is, is uh, receiving and how they're responding. Wow. And that's a lot of work to make it conscious. And then after a while, you get good at it or you get at least get good enough at it. And then you can let it go back into the unconscious mind. Yeah, yeah, uh, like any other skill, right? Right. In order to right. master any skill, it takes a tremendous amount of energy and effort and focus, and then it becomes mastery. And once right. you've mastered it, you know, uh, what is it called? Unconscious competence? Yes. You start out with unconscious incompetence, I think. Yes. And right. then you're consciously, consciously competent. incompetent, and then you want to get to the right. uh, conscious competence. Competent, where you can yeah. do it, but you've got to think it through. Right. And then unconsciously competent when you become it. That's the goal. Yeah, that is That's the, goal. the goal. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. And the, the best place to go for understanding that at a deep level is, is uh, Zen and, and those member many books like the, um, the tea ceremony books and Zen and the art of archery and, and that kind of thing, where they talk about those sort of uh, the mastery and, and without, uh, uh, without getting too fussy about it. Um, but they, they make it clear that what you have to do is both turn on your mind in the sense of openness and turn it off in the sense of, uh, at the, in the long run, the goal is not to have conscious competence. You don't want to end up there, but right. to have unconscious right. competence. And so they've learned lots of ways to sort of speed that process. Can you mention a couple of them? Ways to speed that process towards unconscious competence with your communication? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, the first thing <laughs> is is the ickiest and the hardest, and that is to open yourself up to being really bad at it, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> you've you've got to be willing to to suffer through that. That shows that your mind knows that it doesn't know how to do this, right. and it's feeling awkward. That's the sign that you're learning. But no, none of us wants to go through that. When <laughs> when I'm coaching people, one of the excuses I often get from busy executives who don't uh, want to appear incompetent, that's not a good feeling for them, is when it's time to rehearse a speech, they say, well, I don't want to rehearse it because it'll get stale. Oh, right, right. I, I'll overdo it and it'll, I'll get bored with it and then I won't be able to do it. Well, as any professional speaker knows, that's not going to happen for years. Right, right. <laughs> right. Yes, you can get bored with a speech four or five, six years in if right. you're doing anything like a good job, but by then it will have changed. The subject matter will have changed. The, right, the, exactly right. right. It's not going to be the same anyway. To be really bad at it at first. Yeah. At, but that's what the executive doesn't like is right. that's why they're saying 
I don't want to get stale. What they're really saying is, I don't want to appear embarrassingly bad in front. I don't want to look bad at this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, how does someone? How can someone be really bad at the second conversation of body language, facial expression, tone of voice? Like, how can someone be really bad at it? Just playing with different types of delivery? Is that what you mean? Yeah, uh, uh, you can do it two ways. You can either give yourself a, a chore to do. And this is funny as long as the stakes aren't too high. Yeah. If the stakes are high, it's, it's going to backfire on you, so don't do it. But uh, give yourself a chore to do. Like, say, I'm going to stand in a certain way. Okay. Or I'm going to do certain things with my feet. Okay. So that's working with the body consciously with stuff that's normally left to your unconscious mind. You normally don't think about it. And you say, you know, I look at myself in the mirror. I know I look better if I stand up straight and tuck in my tummy, and put a smile on your face. You know, So, so give yourself the job then of walking out and doing that. And what's hilarious is, I mean, hilarious in the, I feel stupid, bad kind of way is, uh, is how quickly you'll forget to do that. Right. How quickly that's, you go unconscious, you go yes. back into unconsciousness, which right. brings us all the way back to this whole point that conscious communication is a skill that people can practice, develop and get better at. Yeah. You know, we are largely unconscious. I'll tell you a little story about something I did with the second conversation mm. that helped tremendously. I was um, I was in a particular parenting phase with my son where I was frequently impatient with him. And, uh, and I was noticing that my tone of voice was really kind of short, irritated and impatient when I was speaking with him more often than not. And then I got irritated with myself. I was like, I got to stop this. No kid's going to want to hang out with a parent that's, you know, more consistently irritated than not. So I, I just put it in my mind consciously that I wouldn't say anything to him unless I was making eye contact with him. Nice. And that by making eye contact, I would that would be my trigger of how do I want to be with this person, uh, beholding the highest essence of him as I speak to him, and it cha- it just changed everything. Mm. And and it, you know you can translate that to any situation if you're in conflict with someone, if you're in front of an audience on a stage. That's one mm-hmm. of the things I do on stage as well. Is I'm always speaking to one person, no matter how many hundreds of people might be in the room. I'm just going to speak to one person. I'm going to connect with that person. Look at that person. Very good advice. Take that advice, people. (laughs) You'd have to pay me to give you that advice. (laughs) Yeah, all the way from the micro level, right, of of being with my son and noticing my own impatience. And I want to transform that. Just slow down and make eye contact all the way through being on a stage, you know, with hundreds of people. Just talk to one person at a time. And then in between that, running a meeting. You know, managers, uh, business owners who want to be effective at connecting with their team, inspiring their team to a higher level. It's being conscious of what message they want to give. Yeah, I'll give you one other that you remind me of okay. uh, that's, that's related to what you just said, which I love, uh, uh, which th- this one is when I say give yourself a project to do, a body language project to do and try it out and how quickly you'll forget. This one's a little easier. Um uh, as you'll see, uh, and it it reaps enormous benefits if you can really get decent at it. And that is when somebody else starts talking, like your son, don't just listen. Um, we're all supposed to listen and we, we don't sometimes. Um, but instead, listen with your whole body. Mm. Now, 
what do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. I mean, orient yourself toward the person. I don't know which side of the screen I'm on from you, uh, but uh, or we'll end You're up dead on. on. You are dead uh, on. But uh, orient yourself toward the person. Open up your body language, and then go still, because one of the things we unconsciously signal to the other person is uh, from long practice and from doing this all our lives is uh, when we start to drift away from them, we'll get busy doing something. We'll turn our bodies away from them. Uh, we'll break eye contact or we'll, we'll nod impatiently as if to say, hurry up and finish because I got your point. Um, we do all kinds of things to hurry the conversation along. Um, and, and instead, if you just wait, open body language, being still, listening, but listening with your whole body. That means making your whole body still. This is a particularly challenge, a particular challenge for me because uh, I'm, a, uh, I, I'm a high energy sort of antsy person, right? So this is very good. This is why I, I uh, tumbled to it because I was uh, called to account uh, one day by a, a particularly vocal and, and, and assertive client who said, uh, Nick, it feels like you're halfway out the door here somewhere, you know, pay attention to me. And so I thought, wow, I thought I was paying attention. Wow. And I realized my body language wasn't. Right. I, I, my mind was. I was ostensibly there, but my body language wasn't. So it, it took a, I took a real lesson from that. Um, and that. yeah, a, re a real gift. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you know, uh, I, again, thinking about my family life and how often I, I'm chatting with my son or my spouse while I'm doing other things. Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, with my son, who's a teenager, look, look, if he's going to talk to me, man, the world should stop, you know, so yeah. uh, I really try to because, you know, he's, he's kind of he's in his teenage years and not exactly like he wants to hang out with mom and, and that's not his coolest thing to do. So when when he comes in just last night, I was I was making dinner. And, uh, and he came in and had this thing he wanted to tell me about some rap musician and the battle between this rap gang and that rap gang, you know, completely not my zone of, of interest or not even too thrilled that that's his world of interest. But I was like, really? Wow. That, oh gosh, really? I've never thought about stuff like that. Tell me about that. So I really got to take on that whole being wholehearted uh, connection and listening in a, in a, in a more loving and connected way. And, and Nick, you know, this is what we're talking about. How do you bring consciousness? How do you become conscious in our communications, whether it's on a stage or in a boardroom or sitting across the dining room table? It's, it really is the same skills that apply. It really is. Yeah. And, and, and I should, uh, a footnote uh, to what I just said, sometimes when you start that conversation, uh, especially with, with, the teenager, uh, somebody who's different in age from you, or uh, different in gender, or different uh, in in uh, tribal group, let's say, um, you you want to be sensitive to um, uh, starting the conversation in a way that's uh, gentle and not frightening. So it doesn't want to feel like a confrontation. So if uh, somebody's tentatively bringing something up, I don't want to suddenly turn on them. And then go, yes, tell me, what is it? And, and, and sort of fix all of my attention on because that can be intimidating. Um, and so you want to start that gently. But the, the quiet lessening of your body language, the openness is key. Mm. And, then, and then waiting for them, allowing them to take the time that they need yeah. uh, is really important. I, I think one of the ways that we kind of our meta communication that I don't have time for you is not making yeah. my contact, not stopping what you're doing not turning your body toward people. It's, it's a meta communication that 
uh, you know, I'm too busy for this, which basically leaves your listener, uh, the person approaching you with the sense of you're not important to me. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sure for our listeners, that's not the message they want to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and as I say, if you, in the case that you're talking where you're making dinner um, and your teenager comes in and wants to talk to you, uh, the, there, there are times when parallel uh, activity. Uh, so we're facing in the same direction. We're doing the same thing. Sometimes that's easier for a teenager than to bring up a sensitive topic. But if there's something they just want to tell you they're proud of or excited about, then that's a great time to stop what you're doing and, and turn yeah. to them. And, yeah. 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 Car talk, you know, uh, with a teenager is really good because you're both yeah. facing a, in, in one direction and it's not at each other. <laughs> right. Right. So you can bring up trickier topics. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Well, Nick, thank you so, so much for this time, the droplets of wisdom, sharing your knowledge and your expertise. I would love to have you back on again for another go round with uh, the Conscious Living podcast. We'll have to do that again sometime. And uh, it's just it's just lovely to, to be around you. We need to do now that COVID is starting again to subside. We'll have to do one of our coffee dates soon. That would be great. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me on your show and sharing uh, your wisdom and your audience. It's a great pleasure. Thanks so much.